Hi, this is Zoop Velasco, and we're back here at 501c3BS Podcast from the Gianneschi Center, sitting in my office in Suite 4118 of Mahalo Hall here on the campus at Cal State Fullerton, California State University Fullerton, if I want to be formal about it. <laughs> and I'm sitting here with two of our gurus that handle all of our service learning and internship programs. Rob Pierce, say hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. <laughs> and Andrew Gonzalez. How you doing? Mm-hmm. And Rob, what is your official title now? Because uh, I know you got a title bump recently. I did. I'm I'm assistant director. We're in fact both assistant directors, <laughs> but over the respective areas that you just mentioned. There you go. So uh, how do you divide up your work? So your assistant director, your assistant director is a, of one thing and another thing, or you just share the job. Well, we are divided. Uh, uh, what we primarily do is we do experiential learning as it pertains to credit-bearing experiences. So Rob does service learning, uh, and I do academic internships. So mine tends to be more vocational training. Rob's deals with work in the community. Well, you just uh, hit on my first question, but before I get to that... Welcome to 501c3BS. I'm your host, Sue Velasco, director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mahalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. Let me just explain to our listeners a little bit about my experience and the conversation we had that kind of brought us here to, to meet today. So I, I was a CEO of organizations for 23 years, and for the last 10 years, I was running uh, the Muckenthaler Cultural Center here in Fullerton, and we had one of the strongest er- intern core of any organization in town. I think we had 60 a year average from seven different colleges, not all from Cal State, but um, we figured out kind of along the way kind of how to get interns, that you can't just throw out an email and they just knock down your door uh, wanting to get internships. You have to do a little bit of work. And we figured out that um, it wasn't actually me, it was two of my staff would come here to the career fairs and man a booth and recruit people to the internships. You have to do that. And uh, I think they did it uh, at two or three different colleges in the area about once a quarter. And that did a lot in terms of bringing in interns. And then once the interns started flowing, they would tell their friends and it kind of perpetuated itself even more with snowball. So that was kind of our experience. But I know that I still don't understand all of the nuances of what you do. And I thought it would be good for all of the organizations who listen to our podcast to kind of figure out this whole thing called internships. And I know there's people that I've met that said, oh, I don't want to get an intern. It's too much work. And, you know, uh, you have to put in all this work. And, you know, why do all that for somebody who gets coffee? And I say to them, well, first of all, you get out of what you put into it. And second of all, we actually get 60 interns a year, which, which is the equivalent, I figured out one day, to about seven full-time paid staff. Now, you're not supposed to use interns as staff, and we didn't. Correct. But we did have interns doing a lot of really important things. They weren't getting coffee. They were doing things that they would have to do when they work as staff. And Uh, got real-world experiences. A lot of them in the marketing department, for example, got to build their portfolios, did a lot of the design that we used, kind of maintained our social media accounts. We had other interns that worked uh, as arts uh, assistants in the classroom. 
and kind of really bolstered our arts program to have more arts assistants around. We had people that worked in the office. And we had 17 staff when I left. When I started, we had three staff. We grew a lot. And when I left, we had 17 staff. We grew 400% in the 10 years I was there. But of that 17 staff, 16 of them were started as interns and had been hired on awesome. and worked their way up into management. So it, um, it was really good for us. So uh, my first question is, what is the difference between service learning and internships? Sure. Okay. Yeah, you know, and you may talk about all those things that people think about when they think about interns. The knee-jerk reaction was the getting coffee thing, right? Mm-hmm. Let me first talk about internships in general. An internship is any experience, really, anything that a, that a person does that informs their career. So it's really a perception. If I think that I want to go into marketing, and in the case that your students went and did the flyers and the programs, that was an internship for them because it was informing their career experiences. The thing about internships and academic internships, and academic internships is what we do, an internship uh, you qualify for. You bring someone on, it's an entry-level position, they tend to meet certain qualifications, and they put get put to work. It's similar to employment. They're literally put to work. And an academic internship, on the other hand, that's where a student comes on because they don't have the prerequisite knowledge, skills, or abilities to compete at a gainful level, gainfully employed level. And typically, that's where you have the mentor, the supervisor that says, you know what, I'm going to train this person to be a little me for all practical purposes. Someone that I see potential in or someone that I would like to raise up either as a new professional in this field or maybe someone like in your case that may continue in this organization. So an academic internship is primarily focused on vocation, on career, whereas service learning, and and I'll let Rob kind of finish this off, service learning addresses uh, social problems in the community. Uh, problems that are experienced by typically in underserved populations. They typically have issues with, you know, maybe it deals with health or education uh, or any other number of social-based issues. And they only, by, by its nature, uh, only occur within a nonprofit, whereas an academic internship can occur either in a nonprofit or a for-profit as long as the role the student is playing is intending to build knowledge, skills, and abilities for their career. So somebody who's working um, not as an academic intern, but as kind of an entry-level job intern, unpaid, they can only do that in a nonprofit. If it's unpaid, yes. And that's primarily because we have labor law, right? And labor law says, guess what? You can't exploit people, which means you can't make them work for free. Even if they want to, they can't work for free if you're a for-profit. Um, nonprofits are an exempt are exempt, so they are allowed to bring on additional um, uh, personnel. And while they might be volunteers, they could potentially still be interns interns if the roles they're given are in fact informing their ultimate career pathway. So that's the beauty with nonprofits. You can have both. They, these are not uh, mutually distinctive concepts. It just depends on the supervisor how they design the experience, what type of opportunities they afford the student, how much interaction they have with that particular student. And here's the key thing, um, how involved the supervisor is in pre-planning that experience as opposed to what people would call hands-on experience. The vicarious learning that might come as an ad hoc um, you know, interaction, but it's not necessarily known from day to day what the student's going to learn. And typically, supervisors in those roles will say, well, the student can come and ask me questions anytime. But you and I know, and I'm sure your, your listeners know, people in new roles don't always know what questions to ask. So it's critical that the supervisor observes the student or intern 
identify strengths and give them feedback, let them know they're doing well, but then also identifies areas that the student needs to grow in and provides that feedback as soon as possible. And that's really the only reason or the only way feedback actually becomes helpful is if people get that back uh, in, in a short period of time. So uh, to talk about uh, service learning and, and that in contrast to academic internships. So again, it's, it's really um, a matter of focus, like kind of what, uh, what and the intent behind the two uh, different paradigms, if you will. So, uh, so internships very much focused on academic internships, focused on career development, focused on preparing students for entering the workforce. Okay. Um, service learning, on the other hand, is about civic engagement. It's in, in, involved, um, sorry, developing the kind of the, uh, the, the civic duty, the civic um, outlook of the students and who they are and their place in society in parallel with their with their academic learning their, their curricular learning so um internships it's very much the domain of the site um you know like kind of once we've approved an internship and said yeah this is a bona fide learning experience um it, the site's kind of at the wheel and they they drive the whole um the whole internship experience service learning is much more of a partnership with the professor who is teaching the class it's actually what's known as a teaching pedagogy um, and professor is the professors that opt to teach their class as service learning classes what are some examples of classes that are service learning classes great uh, I, uh, okay so we have uh Let's let's go with um, your very own Marsha Judd, um, who um, who uh, does art three eighty. I, I should I should mention Marsha <laughs> Judd worked for me at the Muckenthaler as a lead artist, and she often brought in many many assistants through your service learning program. Right. So so she 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 teaches teachers basically um, um, teaches teaches how to teach art education. Okay, and um, the way she does that is you you partner with an organization in this case the MUG, and um, you bring the students in in the classroom. You're teaching the theory, you're te- teaching the concepts, you're teaching you know the the uh, the how to. I should um, tell people the MUG is shorthand for the Muck and Thaler. Yeah, Not sorry. everybody would know that, but we, around uh, here we call it the Muck. Actually, our website is themuck.org. So right. uh, affectionately yeah. known as yes, right. affectionately known as. <laughs> Um, so she um, so she teaches obviously in the classroom. There is a classroom component that there isn't in academic internships typically, um, and then the students then um, at predetermined times go to the site and then engage in the act of actually teaching uh, or providing delivering our education, and. There is an additional pillar. We talked about. I talked about a civic aspect of it. There's an additional p- pillar in this educate um, in service learning um, that is um, uh, purposeful civic learning. Okay, so they're not only learning. This is how you teach. These are teaching techniques. This is how you get this information into the kids' heads. Right? Um, they're learning about the social setting that this is occurring in. So. A lot of the kids that come to these classes are coming from school districts that cannot provide this because they're generally low-income communities. So it's teaching the kids to understand what a low-income community is. Or our kids. I, I, 
I should differentiate between our kids <laughs> and uh, and the kids. You in mean the young adults? The young adults, yes. The are it's a term of endearment, exactly. Um, so uh, the the students, the Cal State Fullerton students, um, the, they learn not only about you know the techniques and the you know the concept and theory behind actually teaching, but they learn about the circumstances of the children that they're working with, the the the, the social paradigms that lead the children to need these services that are being provided, the background and what impact that has on your approach to teaching, why these things are happening. You know, you t- all teachers need to know who their kids are in, in order to teach effectively, and so th- this method of teaching really. Um, you know, really benefits our students um, in their engagement. But then, as the reason we're talking here today is obviously finding partners that have those needs, and this is just one example, um, benefit from having the students come in and, and work on this, you know. And service learning is it's broad in its application. You can be, you know, you can have a very deep partnership with a professor. Some professors even do research with the organizations that they work with and they leverage their students around that. They do whole program developments with their partner organizations. Um, some um, are much broader. They tend to be like the more basic level, um, like intro, intro classes, like sociology 101. And there the students are just looking for general volunteer experiences. And sites can put themselves forwards um, as, um, with, put their volunteer experiences forwards um, so that the students can do that in fulfillment of their, um, their service requirement for the class. So just to encapsulate then, so for example, Marsha is a, a person who teaches others how to teach art mm-hmm. she is an artist herself and an art teacher and so she uses that experience with the muckenthaler to bring other people in to have that real world experience teaching art to kids so that um you know she's taught them how to teach it now she needs them to experience actually teaching it and that's the service learning right and so that could be true of like any kind of a museum you could have archaeology students come and do a dig because they want to learn archaeology but the, but the primary difference here is that is that civic component. Right. You, the, the teachers are not only talking about... It's not just like, here's the theory, now go practice. That's kind of what an internship is in, in, right. in real essence. It's that civic component where they're saying, well, why is this need even exist in the first place? Why do we... You know, why would these kids, um, in your case, not be getting an art education? You know, what are the factors that lead to that, you know? Because this kind of civic setting for their knowledge um, uh, is motivating for students. I mean, there's um, there, there are various studies that show when a student engages in service learning that they it, it, it places the the importance of their degree for them. You know, they may not. They may not have a clear idea of why um, many many students why they're pursuing this degree, but when they do service learning, it's like. Oh, this is the this is the effect I can have. This is a change I can make with the knowledge that I'm gaining in this degree. This is this is what I'm going to do. It, it basically contextualizes that degree in their in their communities, in their lives. Um, so, do you see um, do you see people who are say masters or PhD candidate students that are looking for 
things that are thesis related that are also service learning projects. For example, like somebody wants an outside of evaluation of a program they're doing in the community, a nonprofit, and maybe they can get a thesis, somebody who wants to do that for their thesis to come and do it where they don't have to pay, you know, some big firm to come and do an outside evaluation. Have you seen those kinds of service learning projects? That, that isn't what we would call service learning. Um, it, it's curricular. Okay, so service learning is embedded in a curriculum. So, and the the experiences basically align with the learning outcomes. Um, there's a part of the pedagogy is is reflection. So the students come back after they've done their experiences, usually on a weekly basis, and the concepts that they were talking about, they talk about how they saw those concepts at play when they were out there in the community and how the community affected, you know, the outcomes of those concepts at play. Um, what you're talking about is community-based learning, which is the more broader um, umbrella term that um, service learning is part of. Well, I didn't and, know this was so complicated. Yeah, you know, well, we are academic. You know? <laughs> well, I remember, um, uh, I remember. I think it was around 2000 when Gray Davis was governor, and I think he started a mandate, yeah. or, or it was the legislature in California, that every student who graduated from a four-year college would have X number of hours of service learning. One experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, and that that was a consortium. That that was all three university systems, and in, in California, um, is that uh, still going on? The the funds are still there, um, but it's not required anymore. It's it's. <sighs> It, it's it's operationalized it, differently. It, different exactly, campuses. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. as as that filtered down through the various systems into the various structures that exist in those systems. You mean bureaucracies? It, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't going to say it, but you. Um, they, um, that got interpreted differently at I different ca- at the campus level, both in the community colleges and the UCs. That's a nice way of saying. So. That's a nice way of saying different colleges figure out how they could take that money and repurpose it. <laughs> well, in a way, but I mean. So we um, and we are we still receive um, funds from that. It's actually centra- uh, distributed centrally through our ch- camps, uh, counts- chancellor's office to um, the various campuses, and um, and we 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 obviously all have to do budgets and justify how we're going to spend it. But we we usually use it for cur- help faculty with curriculum development. We do a lot of international service learning, which might not be as relevant to your listeners as uh, as uh, some of the other things. But we you know. We, there are various ways that we support faculty and students with that. That was fun. Interesting. To create more opportunities. So when I see, I know there are places on campus that we use to do outside evaluations. Um, either it was a class doing it or somebody doing it as a master's thing. Or I think there was a place in College Park that did it for educational institutions that we used at one point. None of that is through your office. That's all just done through the through, through their own departments. Yeah, we, we're specifically service learning. Like the things that you're talking about here, again... You know, you can, you know, the, the capstones in the College of Business here, I mean, they could consult for non-profit organizations. There's nothing stopping that. I know they do, yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um, there are marketing um, consultations, you know, d- different different forms of consultation from the different disciplines that are offered here. That, that's all great. It all benefits um, different organizations. But it doesn't have to go through your office. But it doesn't because it, it's that intentional civic purpose of this. It's, in, it's the intentionality. Many professors will, you know, they they want to do the you know the concept and then have the students go out and basically practice, but 
there there is an intentionality behind placing this in the social or civic paradigm you know they're not they're not saying what are the factors that are leading to the need for the service you know there's the social justice aspects to when you engage in service learning and understanding larger societal structures that contribute to the need that is being generated so so th- all of these different forms of community-based learning and community engagement can benefit um, non-profit organizations with, en- with engagement. Service learning is one of them. Academic internships is one of them. I got to say, I never realized how complicated this was until this moment. Like, right. <laughs> I, I've been doing interns, uh, working with interns and recruiting interns since 2000. Mm-hmm. And I never realized how complicated it was. And maybe that's why it's so hard for us to figure out how to use Interns. Well, here's here's the thing. We do our best. We're, we're talking about high concept stuff and the stuff that goes on on this side. To the employer facing side, the, the non profit world facing. You dumb side. it down for us. Well, we, we, we just give <laughs> you the bits that you need. We just tell you what we need from you and like have you uh, give that information. And then once you know, we we don't want to go into this mega deep concept. Well, we'll go as deep as you want to go, basically. But we give you the bare minimum, and uh, and we go from there, basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we think about the pedagogies and the andragogies that are involved in this, that's really an academic thing because we have to appropriate it accordingly. If it's of course credits being given, but when you did you say andragogy so that you could use your name? <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that word because we had that prefix, right? Real name. <laughs> but you know, we do it with adults, and so a lot of times we have non-traditional. <laughs> students and we have to make sure that you know they are learning as adults as well um, but when we appropriate accordingly the complexity that you mentioned it's like the right tool when you understand which tool you're using and the purposes for that tool you can use the wrong tool for the same job but you won't get the same effect so when we understand the tools first then the effect is greater for us and I would say for me personally the effect uh, finds its result in in the issue that we're dealing now not with employment or underemployment what we're dealing with is underemployment mm-hmm. uh, you know unemployment right now is pretty low in terms of its numbers I mean recently it was 3.4 percent nationally uh, our lowest since 1969 here in Orange County is 2.4 2.8 percent but underemployment fluctuates between 37 percent as high as 58 mm-hmm. percent some states as high as 75 percent people and, by that you mean people who are not actively looking for jobs or taking unemployment but are well I should say people are not actively on the unemployment rolls but are looking for jobs well not necessarily in fact you can easily define it in three ways it's people that have jobs so they have jobs but they're either overqualified or underpaid or they're working in a field not related to their degree now, I don't include part-time necessarily in there because they, they, they still may be properly qualified they still might be properly paid they still might be working in a field related to their degree I think that's a big problem, though, right now is, is that is that we have this idea that everybody's employed who wants to be employed. But ever since they changed the employment laws and, you know, with the minimum wage going up, of course, exempt labor then has to go up twice the minimum yes. wage. And people yeah. don't often take that into account when yeah. they think about minimum wage. And so as a CEO, I've seen myself where it's much cheaper to hire two part-time people than one full-time pe- person. And so I think there's a lot of people who are underemployed in that they're only getting part-time jobs, and they're having to cobble three jobs together to do what they used to do with one full-time job with right. benefits. Yeah, and yeah. and for our, our graduating students, that's been the biggest one of the biggest criticisms I think of higher ed is that we're not quote unquote preparing students for uh, livable wages or, or or standards of living, especially here in Orange County. 
Um, we, we did a study, and we looked at over 400 alumni from here at Cal State Fullerton within the last four years, and the effects of perceived underemployment, because really perception is reality for employment. You know, you think about the negative outcomes of being underemployed, uh, bad engagements, uh, high trend, turnover rates, mental health issues. And what we found was that none of the key factors we think that would affect underemployment actually statistically affected them. It wasn't the, the university. It wasn't the college they were in. It wasn't even demographic variables. So we would think, oh, maybe there are gender variables at play. Maybe it's an ethnic variable at play. It's, it was none of those. It wasn't even STEM or non-STEM. The only effect that we found was in not doing experiential learning. We found it on three different types of experiential learning specifically. We found it in service learning, academic internships, and our D.C practicum that we have here on campus where we send students off to Washington, D.C. Those had a significant effect at mitigating or even reducing the levels of of, uh, reported underemployment. What does that mean? That means if students do uh, experiential learning that that are, as you mentioned, complicated, but that are this structured, they are less likely to report underemployment within the first five years of graduation. Those are critical outcomes. Why? That's not really just interesting. Stu- yeah, and not just for the students, but for our employers. Because what are the employers getting in the in the long term? They're getting much better prepared uh, uh, employees in the workforce. They're getting long-term commitments from students that began as interns. They realize the amount of investment their employer has put into them. They actually are retained much longer than, say, the casual intern that comes in and does the coffee making and the errand running, but ultimately doesn't feel connected. So a lot of this is rooted in the organizational sciences. A lot of this is rooted um, also in, in, in just an academic theory and how we train students professionally. And then, of course, in legalities and employment law. Making all of that work together necessitates this conversation. Because what most people will do is they say, oh, it's too complicated. I just want someone to come and help me. But you're missing a key um, performance indicator. You're, you're, you're missing key returns on potential investments. If you structured the internship or the service learning experience or whatever you want to provide for the student um, in the long term. I think my own anecdotal experience backs that up because we hired people that we liked as interns and they worked their way up the ladder. We referred people that were good interns that we couldn't hire. And so those good those interns who were very successful interns, we would help them find employment, whereas if they were getting that experience, they wouldn't have that. Also, when I teach classes, a lot of my students are really overly obsessed with grades. And I tell them, you know, you don't need to be so obsessed with grades. It's one line on a resume. When I hire people, I want to know what they know, Mm -hmm. not what their grade was. Exactly. And so that's really much more important. Yeah, and we tell our students, the artifact of these experiences is not doing a good job. Anybody can do a good job, particularly at these entry-level positions. The goal is to develop those relationships. Because, you know, you've probably heard it said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But it's not even who you know, it's who knows you. So we make sure our students understand that when they're at their workplaces or their internships or their serving sites, they're not just doing, they're also relating, they're also connecting. Not just with their community and their colleagues, but also with those that are in positions that ultimately can inform their career development and advance them as well when, when necessary. And just beyond that, for, for this specific uh, sector, the nonprofit sector as well, I mean, conversely, you know, the, the, you know, nonprofit organizations are, you know, typically there to serve a particular need and to highlight that that need exists, right? To serve a particular uh, group um, to, um, and engaging students in this, at the very least, 
gives them a much greater understanding and appreciation of the issues that they're trying to address, you know, um, and it forges greater relationships with the university um, and, you know, sp- you know, basically spreads that knowledge among, you know, new professionals, you know, who are, are going to take this information out there into uh, the community as well at a much deeper level than perhaps they get from, um, from traditional outreach with um, these organizations. You know. So let's talk for a second about credit versus, versus advocates, basically. <laughs> let's, let's talk for a second about credit versus non-credit interns. So in, in organizations, community organizations, we would generally hire people, uh, bring people on as interns as a uh, non-credit based internship. Um, is there any reason why we as community organizations would need to know about um, credit-based internships? Absolutely, and that's primarily rooted in your applicant pool. Uh, a lot of programs on college campuses, especially ours, have required academic internships as part of the, the degree requirements, which means you have an applicant pool every semester that's saying, I need to find a place to do my practicum. I want to find a place where I can learn how people do business. Nonprofits have that capability because they have people like yourself and like many of your colleagues that doesn't just do their work. They're extremely invested in it. There's a level of meaning and depth that goes beyond just simply being effective um, that the students need to engage in. And they want that rather than just going to the office and just being told to do this and that. So they absolutely would appreciate those opportunities. If it's offered, if the volunteer opportunity could be structured in a very simple way, our framework that we've designed to make it manageable for sites is simple. It's this. Um, most internships start with tasks. What's the student's going to do? And then how am I going to train a student to do that task? And maybe they're going to learn something. If you flip that around, you have an effective academic internship. That means you start with learning outcomes. Don't start with what the student's going to do. Start with what could they possibly learn here and identify only three a semester we're dealing with. You only need three learning outcomes to be manageable. Then you ask, okay, how am I going to train them to achieve those learning outcomes? So what is the supervisor going to do? Then finally, the last thing we think about is what can the student then do to demonstrate that they've achieved those learning outcomes? The collateral effect of that is you get the assistance and help you need in, in, in the nonprofit and at your agency, but the overall effect to, to the student, to, to the site, to the community is something much more meaningful and longer enduring than just, oh, there's my resume check. So I don't think most of us know that we can do academic credit internships because we think, oh, that has to be a professor that does that. Ah, yeah. See, the neat thing, it's similar to service learning, and, and there's a distinction and a similarity. They both involve faculty, except with service learning, there's more of an active, ongoing involvement with faculty. So faculty is there along the way. Um, helping the student with reflection, helping the student with attending to observations they're making in the community that they may not be able to process or debrief on while at the site. For academic internships, on the other hand, faculty are there are, are really to inform them about the, the paraprofessional aspects of it, helping them to deal with conflict management if that's necessary, and understanding what are the best practices, how do you internalize this from an academic perspective, how you take your theories, and how do you redefine what you're seeing using these theories. It's slightly more passive than the service learning side of it all, but the university is the one that determines credit, so let's understand that a lot of sites will say, well, we don't offer academic credit. Look, you're right. 
the, the community sites aren't the ones that determine who or who doesn't get credit. It's the university, and it's predicated on whether or not we can identify learning outcomes. What you provide is an intentional opportunity for the students to see purpose and meaning and develop skills in a specific area that's going to help them in their career. And these two things um, don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's not like the learning comes at the expense of the benefit to the organization. They can they can both coexist happily together. You know, um, yeah. that's a common misconception out there. It's like, well, if I'm teaching them, then I can't get any benefit out of it. It's like, no, you can as as long as well. The the framework that we like to use is contextualization. So. Basically, when you're assigning a task to um, an intern, an academic intern, all you've got to do to make this relevant is say, I'm, this is the job that I'm going to train you to do this role. This is why we do this. This is why this role is important. This is how this contributes to the larger goals of the organization. And put it in context. That, then it becomes a learning exercise. Once, um, once they've completed the task, if you then review and say, okay, how did you complete that task? You know, how did you do it that? How could you improve? You know, constru- um, constructive feedback at the end of it. Then you've got a learning experience. You've just got to do that extra little piece on the front of it that basically contextualizes the work and why it's being done and how it contributes to the organization to make it a learning experience instead of just do this, they do this, and they've no, no idea how that um, is relevant to the overall operations. So, so that's really it. And when we're, you know, when we're looking, um, so our, our process of of, um, of Taking in, sorry, academic internship opportunities, um, we really, you know, we've really streamlined it so that we're only asking for the stuff that we need, basically. So it's like any other. If you if you're recruiting for a job, right, you've got to put a job description together, right, and you've got to put it out there somehow. So we have a system here. It's called Titan Connection. You build your position description. There's a, we've got tools on our website that lets you build those few additional parameters in that make it into an academic internship, and then you just post it in the job board, and that's it. And then you recruit it in. You have intentionality be- behind making it a learning experience for the students, and you and you're there. That's it. You know. So yeah. it, it, it sounds like it's complicated, but from the site's perspective, it's not really. And know. the beauty behind us being here at this organization, not every university has a center for initiative and community engagement. So we have the capacity, the personnel that not only uh, I think we're we're uh, experts in this. I would say even, but we assist. <laughs> So if a site says, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to do, well, that's what we're here for. We'll help here to either jog your, your, your brain, your process, or even help with some of the language to if that needs to be interpreted. But the other thing that we do as a value is we help do risk management. And that's a critical thing, right? Because if a student goes to any site, for that matter, um, there are certain risks that they might potentially be exposed to when they work with the community, when they're working with machines or any other um, materials at the site. So when we... When we're able to review a position and we're able to uh, do the appropriate risk management, heavy machinery, you know, high risk uh, location, working late at nights alone, you know, different types of home-based businesses, sometimes people want to get those through. Um, the, the university, and specifically through Rob and I in our unit, uh, we spend a lot of time making sure that everyone's safe. And we're looking at the best interests of the student, the site, and the university in the process. Yeah, and that, that's specific to, I, I know the CSU um, system provides for unpaid experiences, both mm-hmm. in service learning 
and academic internships, so academically connected internships, we have a, a liability insurance policy that covers the students in those circumstances. Oh, that's good to know. So if it's approved, yeah. Because that lack of employee status in the law basically means ambiguity. So we step in there because there's no intrinsic... Do most universities do that? Not the... Well, I mean, in the CSU system, um, I think there's the, 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 there's the, our carrier covers the CSU. I've come from other non-CSU campuses where we don't do that, and so it's a good thing to ask. It's a very good yeah. thing to ask because what happens if the student, let's say, on the very basic level, breaks a computer or damages some other property? Or what happens if the student then gives advice or shares information or maybe acts in a way that they don't foresee but is harmful to someone in the long term? And that person comes back and says, hey, I'm, I, I want damages, damages here. Yeah. Who incurs that? Mm-hmm. It's important that the, you know, we make sure that the student has that coverage in place. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up you know, the Titan Connection, which is our, our website here that the internships get posted on. And you all um, help them with that. But what I hear from people on, on the other side of the, of the coin, the people in the organizations who are trying to get interns is, They'll say, you know, I called the community engagement office, and not talking about Cal State here, but just in general. They'll say, I I called their community engagement office, and they told me how to uh, put something on the website, and then nobody ever came. And I'm like, well, you have to do more than just stick it on the website. So what advice can you give to organizations beyond, okay, so, so they've asked about whether you have insurance for the interns, that's a great question, which I never thought of before. And they've asked you how to put this on the website. You direct them to the website. You tell them, I'm assuming you give them some kind of like a, a template to go by or no? No, you know, because it is what the site decides. It, it is a commercial, if you will. And I can say, I'm, I'm going to speculate here, but I'd say eight to nine times out of ten. The reason why a site may not get a lot of responses from students is because if you look at the description, it's it just boring. goes, it's very boring. You know, I, I think there was a great uh, TED talk. Um, oh, I can't remember the gentleman's name. He's very popular, but he talked about the Golden Circle. Right? Oh, um, Simon Sinek. That's right, Simon Sinek. And he talked about how you got to pitch the why. And you see a big difference. If an organization says why they do what they do first, mm-hmm. and then how the student's role is going to contribute to that, then you see a big difference. And then you get to the whole minutia of well, task mm-hmm. and qualifications. But most mm-hmm. sites just put task, and that's it. So like with <laughs> anything with our organizations, we need to be mission-based even in how we, inter- um, how we recruit interns. Yeah, here's the cool thing. And maybe it's more so for students for the sites. <laughs> but we have seen a, a, a great increase in the number of partners that have come through time connection so much that even partners that have historically received a good number of applications every semester are calling us up saying where are our applicants you know why we have more sites now than we tend to have student available students which means great for the students and right now i guess we have about 1168 academic postings times two or three positions proposing literally two or three thousand available positions that have not been filled by students right now because there's just a lot of opportunities out there. That means the sites, you guys are competing. And if you're going to compete, spend an additional 10, 15 minutes and think about how can I craft this description that's really going to connect with the student that I want to bring into my organization. How can I demonstrate my organization in, in a way that's going to reflect our values, our mission, and makes us differentiate from, you know, say, the, the, the site down the street or, or, or across the county? Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. So it's like anything in marketing in the World Wide Web, you have to, you can't just put it out there. Like you can't put a Facebook post out and expect a thousand people to read it and like it and share it. Right. You have to, it has to be exciting. It has to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that... Uh, Paid internships would be more interesting than <laughs> unpaid so, internship. Yeah. Not, uh, necessarily. not necessarily. Not necessarily. Really depends on the sector. I mean, of, of course, we want to advocate they are our favorite yeah. kind of internship. And they do yeah. get <laughs> applied to at a much higher rate. Yes. Than the unpaid internships. And probably but academic it's, it's is more. Well, uh, that's, that's a good point. That's a good question that you mentioned because in there implies um, an assumption. Academic internships can be either paid or unpaid. Yeah. So the, the, what determines whether or not a student gets paid is not credit. What determines pay is... No, I mean, all. but I mean, uh, an academic internship would draw more interest than a non-academic internship? Yes. Depends on the major. Depends really on the is, major. Yeah. But here's the thing. If it's academic for credit, then that can also be... For non-credit. But if it's for not credit, then it's not always for credit. It's the whole, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a yeah. square thing. You would reach have a bigger umbrella if you make it academic mm-hmm. and then take someone and not necessarily give them credit if it's paid. Or you make it not for credit and you leave out an entire segment of student that needs to find something that counts for their major. Right. You, you're, if you pay, you make it for credit. If you make it for non-credit, then your, your net is cast as broadly as it possibly mm-hmm. can be. And I would also argue that it, by making it, a, structuring it in a way that you can get credit for it, you know, it, it makes you think intentionally about what you're doing here, right, when you're offering an internship. If all you want to do is get some help, right, then you're better off just hiring somebody because yeah. that's what you want. But if you want to... If you want to develop a pipeline, encourage new talent. If you want to bring in people and develop them. If you want to, you know, if you want to, you know, like you at the, at the Mockenthaler, um, you, you were seeing this interns as a candidate pool for growth. Then the academic internship is, is much is is a much better way to go. Simply because you've got intentionality behind what you're doing. You know what I mean? It's not just. I've got a need, I'm going to fill it with a person. It's like, I'm thinking long term. Right. What does this mean for the organization? You know, how do I develop new talent that is going to have a relationship with what we're doing here? You know? And that's when the role of a supervisor becomes that of a co-educator. Right. Because you're educating the person in your vocational space. Right. And yeah. the professor is educating the student in their academic space. So this might be a dumb question, but... I'm thinking of this in marketing terms now because you're competing with a lot of internship requests and, you know, like I said, many of them don't go answered because there's too many and not enough people looking. So um, do hashtags... Can you use hashtags in your internship requests? I don't think that's no. And you know, it, it, the reason why is because it's not connected to. It, it's it's a um, enclosed system that's behind our our, our, our single sign on our, our security here. So it, you won't be able to hack, find the hashtags. It won't trend. But somebody way. could. Yeah take their internship post that's on your site and post it on their own Facebook oh, yeah. page oh, with hashtags yeah, yeah, yeah. or Twitter account or Instagram. Oh, yeah. And that brings or up the other point. Or Indeed yeah. or any of these. Yeah, sites. any of those yeah. other ones. So yeah. when we go past the job description, you're asking, well, what else can we do? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's where you find that is taking mm-hmm. that and then connecting with, there's a lot of organizations on campus that are very specific to needs, whether it is a need academically, whether it's a need in the community, connecting with those groups, getting them to share that, you know, that posting with the job ID. So it's redirecting students back into the portal. 
um, that's how you begin to expand your reach using social media because of course that's students are all about social media and the big thing now I think is, is Instagram everything is more in pictures than anything else as well um, unfortunately the systems that we use that exist in the university I would say that that covers all uh, career management systems uh, don't incorporate the advertisement using pictures um, which I think that's something that aligned that there's a competitive advantage there if you're out there and you want to create that, um, that will draw students to apply. Mm -hmm. Also, I think um, another good piece of advice is knowing who you're aiming, your, who you want to recruit. Okay, so if you know you want a marketing student, put things in there that will appeal to a marketing student. Mm. You know, If you want a sociology major, Put things in there that will appeal to a sociology major. You know that's that's it, it's key that you know who you're talking to, like it, like in any marketing exercise. Rob brings up a very good point. We have a lot of sites that want to advertise, especially nonprofits, because again, you don't have to do academic credit, so they advertise just volunteering, volunteer, mm. and then within the job description, if even in the job description, they have all the different positions they could potentially volunteer in. When students search in Titan Connection, mm. they're searching through functional words typically related to their career or their degree program. They're searching for marketing, internship, psychology, internship. Right. So, so doing a catch-all like that is no good. You need to do, if you have seven it, interns, yeah. you need to do seven different posts. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. you, it's your pitch. You're pitching to those students. All right. So let's yeah. encapsulate what we've learned today, folks. So... Um, so I'm going to... You correct me if I've gotten any of this wrong. So... What did you say was bigger than service learning? Above service learning was community based. community based learning. Community based yeah. learning has under it service learning and internships, and probably some other things that we haven't talked about. Community based learning is. I mean, it's so funny. There's all the there's all this terminology that floats around, and you know, like like the word internship. It, whoever's saying it has their own understanding okay. of what it means. But generally, community based learning is connected more deeply to a class. There's a professor in a class who's got a classroom full of students, right. and they have a project or a service component for it to be community-based learning. When we're talking about internships, that's really much more on the kind of the career development side of things. So the know? first thing that so, an organization should so do differentiation there. is they should partner with whatever universities are in their neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, yeah. in their community, and really develop a partnership. Like here, we're so siloed. This is, you know, we have, what, 30,000 students? 40,000. 40,000 students and, uh, I don't know, seven or eight different colleges here. And each one is its own little silo. So if I talk to someone, and I, don't, I never realized this till I came to work at Cal State Fullerton, but if I talk to someone in the College of Business, I, I just assume the people who are the arts people are going to know what's going on too, that's not the case at all. <laughs> no. You need to also talk to the people in the arts department. You need to talk to people in the College of Sociology if you want sociologists or the educators if you want teachers. Right. So, you know, in a, a, we ran a, a education-based cultural center. We could have worked with seven or eight different colleges here if I knew better than to, um, to connect with them. And we connected with Marsha, honestly, by, by mistake. I mean, because we had her coming in as a lead artist. I had no idea that she was also a professor when we first hired her. So, um, so the first thing people can do is really connect with their, with their universities and not just one person at the university, but, but really try to get to know people in each college or each department, if it's a junior college 
and then the service learning people as well. That would be step one, right? Well, yeah, I, I would say, you know, even your stakeholders on a campus, there are certain priorities that I mean, you can prioritize them according to their scope. If a campus like ours has a centralized center for industry community, yeah. then we would have or be able to connect your 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 colleagues to the appropriate constituents right. rather than having to fish them out. Because you're right, every universe, every campus is their own universe. Some campuses have their own zip code. Even um, ours and most universities run what's was typically known as a matrix structure. So that's why it's necessarily delineated and they have their own departments and the information doesn't cross the lines very well. But when you got something centralized, and, and again, Cal State Fullerton, we have that benefit, that makes it easier. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I would say step one is know the campus that you want to interact with and find out how they structure things. So just get talking. Go say, hey, I mean, we, we have partners all the time that say, hey, I'm interested in doing internships. Let's, uh, you know, I'd like to meet with you. And we say, sure, let's go get a coffee across the street. We'll talk to you. You know what I mean? And then we establish contact. And we do that because it's free parking across the street. (laughs) It's free and it's available. (laughs) There's no parking here on campus. Right. Okay. So, uh, so get to know the university. Then once they do that and they've discovered who the service learning person is, they're going to tell them, you know, you can post on this website and that's great, but then the next thing they need to know is they need to think about that post in the same way they would think about what makes a viral social media post or what makes a viral e-blast, right? Um, how can I tailor this post to the people that I'm trying to recruit? Well, this is well. Let me let me break down. Let me give a really simplistic view of like kind of service learning versus internships. Oh, academic internships versus service learning. Academic internships, it's you, you, you're designing the program, you've got to make it a learning experience, you've got to figure, you know, you've got to design this thing um, so that when the student comes in, you're going to teach them, you're going to mentor them, okay? And it's yours, you know what I mean? Service learning um, is more like, what, what are your volunteer experiences? You know, you can throw, um, like most universities have a job board, most of them will take volunteer experiences. Throw them on there. You know what I mean? You might get some students that want to volunteer and they'll find um, your opportunities on there. But I would um, guess... But, a- but on top of that, if you, you can also post it. In our case, you can also post it as a service learning position. And that volunteer opportunity, even though it's just what you regularly do, might work. It might be a good um, activity for the student to engage in in the context of the class that they're taking. So that's the difference but between I, the two. I would guess if I was looking to do service learning, mm-hmm. I might want to partner with a professor that, let's say I'm cleaning up the beach, right. I might want to pr- partner with a professor in environmental right. science or right. something. Exactly. So that that yeah. service learning then becomes more important if the professor is making them do it. Yeah. So there's... Th- so. On the service learning side, it's less of a sure thing, I'll definitely say that, because you have to have a professor that happens to be teaching something that's relevant to what you Which could be more of a sure thing if they actually make the relationship with the professor. Oh, yes. Right, exactly. And, you know, why not reach out to the department and say, hey, I'm looking for a partnership. I did that recently with the, the our neighboring city here, mm-hmm. and we ended up having a collaboration with the art department here. Yeah, did a like whole if, if, I, if I run a them. pet shelter and I meet with the veterinary science people, they might 
you know, have all kinds of ways to help me mm -hmm. out that are service learning, exactly. that are community-based learning, that are internships. Absolutely. Huge um, burgeoning field in Orange County is the aging population and how we serve them. We have a school of gerontology here. Mm -hmm. And so we have, you know, hospice care, assisted living facilities that are bringing those students in to volunteer um, with them. But that's part of a class. It's part of a gerontology service learning class that they're doing. So, but once, so. I, once I put something on the web, I want to make it as attractive as possible for yeah. my audience exactly and then the next thing to do is the same thing you would do if you know i i i teach marketing here and i have people tell me how can i get my business uh, out better on the web and i said the best way to get your business out on the web is to first get your business out in real life because if people are if people are interacting with you and then they're posting on the web mm -hmm. you're going to get a lot more um a lot more ability to go viral than if people are not interacting with you in real life first. Yeah, right. I, I think that's critical for students who want information, you know, they want predictability, and they're very much aware of the negative stigma that just a general intern might get. You know, there's even a movie about, you know, interns. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can get information out there of what the experience is going to look like, again, everything's in pictures for students. If it, they see what it's going to look like, they hear quotes, maybe on your websites from students that have done it before, then it assures them, makes them feel like it's a little bit of a, of a safer bet. Right. That not only are they going to have a good time, but they're going to have a good learning experience because they're trying to, in their own minds, avoid the ones and identify the ones that aren't going to give them the worth their time experience. And so in our case, that was actually coming and doing uh, career fairs. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, I think we paid $200 a quarter to have a booth at a career fair, but it was so worth it because we got so many interns yeah. from that. And it, like I said, it was like having seven paid unpaid staff working for us. Right. Yeah. And, and that's like sales. You know, it, it, you can have a booth, student comes, but there has to be that immediate follow-up. And if, if that works, that's great, because some people that come in booth, they don't do that, and they don't see the same return. Um, but I think you were talking about something earlier about getting it online. Something I don't see interns or sites do, not profit or for-profit, for-profit or non-profit, is they don't get those visuals of what the experience is like. Um, mm. at the site so the students can simply search for it and then boom there it is they see it well, that's they see a great point just yeah. like them well that's a great point that they're going to google you and if you have a terrible web presence they're they're not going to want to come intern yeah. for you right. and a lot of organizations honestly their web presence leaves a lot to be desired yeah. so well um and another um aspect of this as well is going back to the academic internships specifically is we are driving students into Titan Connection. With the message that Andrew conveyed about the research earlier on, you know, this is the difference between you getting a, a you know, uh, gainful, employment. gainful employment and not. You know, we're hammering that. We're saying go into Titan Connection, go into our system and look for opportunities. And the only way they're going to find you in there is if you are in there, you know, with, with your opportunities. So, so that's um, so crafting a good experience and being present in there is, is is half of the battle as well. Yes, you can go larger, and once you've got an established program, the word of mouth sells itself. I, you know, there's a number of organisations that we work with. Uh, you know that. Basically, don't have to do anything anymore because That's their us. internships yeah. are so well established. Yeah, the much is like that eventually. Exactly, you know. But they, I think that there, there's a step we haven't talked about. So once mm -hmm. they get everything online, mm -hmm. and people are applying, and people are interviewing for these internships, they have to have um, a job that people want to do. It can't be right. just you know go get me coffee. Mm -hmm. It has to be something that really does speak mm -hmm. to them in terms of their career goals. Right. 
And um, I think that was something, one thing we used to tell them when they interviewed, we'd, we'd show them around and, um, you know, it, it, the muck is a beautiful place and it's a great place to hang out. So they loved it when they'd see it. And then we'd say, you know, we, we don't pay our interns, but you will eat a free meal at least every other day here because there seems something about uh, community organizations in general where there just seems to always be meals and lunches happening that people don't plan for because, you know, you you have a some kind of an event. There's always food left over and that goes to the staff. And there just seem there's always a birthday party or something. It's just it's just the nature of our beast that we always have a lot of free food around. If there's ancillary benefits, stick them in there. <laughs> and they and free food is a big benefit when right. you're a, a college student. Yeah, we, we we've had postings in there saying, "Hey, it's an unpaid internship, but you know, um, our our organization has a season ticket to Angels games. You know what I mean? So right. you know, you'll get to go to games with us or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we had you know, you know free tickets to our concerts which was helpful and salary benefits yeah absolutely so okay so uh so make sure that your 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 ad as it is for the internship Mm -hmm. is appealing make sure your web presence is appealing make sure that the job interview is is as appealing as everything you put out there and I think to ease the fears that people might have, because sometimes we, we, people think, i got to get it right the first time. I'm not going right. to release this opportunity. I'm not going to create something until I get it perfect. It, it's evolving. Yeah. So based on what you were saying, I'm thinking in my head, the great way to frame this is, is, is you have a 3C framework here. You have connect, create, and cultivate. You have connect with campus stakeholders, faculty, centralized internship centers. You have create the job postings and the descriptions, make sure it's nice, make sure you identify what the learning outcomes are, how the students are going to experience their experience, and then the cultivate, which is the longer term. You're going to have a position come in, you're going to see where you can improve on it, then you improve on it the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time. And over the course, like with now, the Muckenthaler, you have this very strong learning experience where people want to be impo- involved in, and they're producing benefit all around. And, and I think that, that that makes it work nicely and is easier to, to follow. Well, Andrew and Rob, I'm going to end it right there because I, I don't think we could say anything more beautiful than that. That's so perfectly put. Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I, Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choral group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.